podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back, or welcome for the first time to this month's podcast. This is episode nine. Shout out everybody who's listened to episode eight. That was on capitalism. Thank you for everybody who listened, gave me feedback. I really appreciate this. I wish you people knew how many takes it takes me to do a standard intro. But when I actually start talking about what I'm talking about, I can do it in one take. Which doesn't make much sense, but such is life. Anyway, episode nine. This one is about immigration. I was meant to record it on the usual day of Tuesday to be posted on Wednesday. However, for those that know, the the terror attack, or call it what you will, that happened in London, four or five people dead, like 40 people injured. First, I'd like to say, rest in peace to those innocent people who've died. I hope God will be with those who, the friends and family of those who have tragically died and been injured. I wish speedy recovery for those injured. That really kind of derailed what I wanted to talk about, which was immigration, because I feel like I had to slightly address that with the xenophobia and how our country, the UK, is seemingly terrified of immigration for whatever reason. Well, we know the reason. <laughs> My personal belief on this is that, as I said in a pre- in two pods ago, number um, 007 with regards to the fallen living standards so is that it's more expensive for us to you know pay our bills but we also have a fall in wages real wages so your wage may increase but when you um, actually calculate inflation you're, you're actually earning less money but your costs are all rising so people have been realizing this in their pockets and the politicians don't really have a proper answer they can't say oh it's because of globalisation, this thing that we pray to everybody, what it really does is squeezes the working class and the middle class and lines of pockets of the upper echelon. They can't really say that. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to vote for you next time. What we see with the rise of populism amongst Europe and with the Mr. Baba Trump, the new United States president, is populism have turned their attentions to immigration. And it's an easy get out oh, these people come to our country, they're different from us, they're leeching. People just, people lap it up. So this podcast is a bit of a myth-busting, as well as giving accurate information. So, immigration. When we think about immigration, we also need to think about the actual net number of people coming to this country. When I say net, I mean... It's not, just, it's not just people coming into the UK. People also leave the UK. So if you take the amount of people coming in and you minus the amount of people leaving, you're left with the net figure. The current net figure for immigration is around 330,000, which is like the population of Sheffield, which I believe I said on one of my previous uh, blog posts, which is a very, very big number. In fact, the UK population... With this, uh, with the, with the net migration numbers, has actually risen by one million over the over the last five years, which is a lot of people, like half the population of Birmingham or something like that. In terms of people emigrating, so people who are leaving the UK, the top three destinations tend to be Australia, India, and the United States of America. Obviously, Australia, United States of America, 
fairly similar um, nations to the UK in terms of culture. Now, if we're looking at the people that actually come into the country, so I'm just going to give you a lot of data information. I want to try and make this sound, make this as clear, and I don't want to kind of bamboozle you with hella numbers. But in terms of the ages of people that tend to uh, uh, migrate into the UK, it tends between the mid-20s to the late-30s. This is um, via a study from the London School of Economics, which makes sense because that is the age where you probably have the lowest amount of responsibilities, but also you're old enough to actually work and be flexible with your working arrangements so you can move to another country to work for money, experience, or whatever, whatever have you. Older migrants are less likely to stay long-term, so they'll probably come, and then around the retirement age, they'll probably go back to their um, um, home nation. Now, this is dysnomics, so we're going to talk about the economical effect first, and then we'll get onto the more social effects of econ- of immigration, but obviously tying it back to economics. So, what are the actual economic effects immigration has? Well, if we take the labour force, and as I said on, on on previous podcasts, the labour force is those people who are eligible to actually work. So, in between for the UK, that's in between the ages of sixteen years old up to sixty five. So in terms of the actual labour force, because, as I said just um, a few seconds ago, that migrants tend to be within that mid-20s to late-30 age range, migrants are tend to come at a working age, so they increase the actual size of the labour market. So if the people coming in tend to... So if the big of a, a significant proportion of the 330-odd thousand people that tend to come into the UK are available and looking for work, that actually increases the whole the overall pool of workers. Now, it's kind of like a double-sided effect in terms of how good and bad this is. It's good in the sense that we have more people who are working, so they can help increase the output of the UK, so that helps increase the economy, which is good. So you want it, it helps increase GDP. However, in terms of, on a more micro level, there's increased competition for jobs in certain in certain sectors. So it's kind of good and bad in that sense. Now, as I said, my migrants tend to be of the in the working age in the working age range of 16 to 65. So if you have the more the more people in a country means there's more of us that would want to consume goods or services, which is good because this increases the aggregate demand, which then increases uh, GDP. Now, what is aggregate demands? Because you're probably thinking, what the hell is this guy talking about? I think, let me not even guess, but there, I did the episode on demand and supply. So, in terms of when you look at demand and supply for the whole economy, aggregate demand is like the complete demand that um, one, like let's say the UK takes. So, it's, it's this how I calculated consumption. So, that's us buying goods and services. Investment, so that's you know investing in various businesses or wherever you may. Government expenditure, so that's like the government, um, whatever the government spends money on, benefits, infrastructure, etc., etc. And and the number left over when you mine when you get the total amount of goods and services our country exports, and you minus that figure from what we import, so that's like our collective demand, and. 
how it works is that you have a graph with on the y-axis you have price level of the in the economy so that actually measures the inflation level on the x-axis you have output so that kind of effectively measures like your your gdp so how much we're producing the size of our economy and then when you have the aggregate demand they have the aggregate supply if you increase the aggregate demand curve and why i mean sorry why <laughs> aggregate supply stays constant that means what you're seeing is an increase in outputs so as increase in gdp and a reduction theoretically in unemployment also if i was staying on the aggregate um, demand and supply analysis more what's it called migrants increases aggregate supply as well because obviously you have more people in the workforce now when you look at this in actuality so i gave you that the economic fit quote-unquote theory behind it according to the office of national statistics the uk gdp is actually raised more than the uk gdp per capita so in other words on a whole our in, our economy yeah is has grown over the period of this inc- if this wave of net migration but as individuals it's not grown at the same rate and obviously that's due to the rise in living costs <laughs> and a drop of um and a drop in real wages as i stated on the podcast before last so that's one of the economic impacts of migration so net migration can distort how strong your economy is what um this net migrations as i said earlier that's the total number of people that come into the country minus the total number of people that leave the country so what this does is increase the flexibility of the labor market so in english english <laughs> in english the total amount of people that work we have more variety in terms of skills and expertise and and, and what jobs people want to choose in the economy for example we all know of the recent surge of Eastern European uh, migrants. Currently, there's more than one million done working in the UK. In fact, funny enough, after the Brexit um, referendum, between July and September of last year, an extra 50,000 of them came, came here to work. 50,000. That's enough to fill Anfield and have some change. So, these Eastern European workers they tend to fill the gap of semi-skilled labour. So, you know, um, plumbing, building, etc., which is obviously very crucial to the economy. So they do have a, a... They actually contribute to our economy, which is obviously a good thing. Now, I want to bring... Hmm, how about it? Okay, let me bring in it. Okay, there's something in economics called the dependency ratio. It's not as daunting as it sounds. It's basically working out the number of non-people who are, um, who are not economically active divided by the number of people who are economically active. So it's kind of working out the load an, an economy has to carry because obviously not everybody in the, econom- in the, economy, in the e- economy can be a contributor. So you get the number of kids, children, for better words, so that's between ages of 0 to 15 because they can't work, then you add that to the total number of pensioners, so those 
who've, who have retired, so from the ages of 65 and above, they divide that by those who are economically active. So those are from the working ages of 16 to 65, were specified earlier. And that shows the, like, the dependency ratio. Obviously, the higher the dependency ratio, the bigger the strain on the government. Because less people are working to actually produce goods and serv- help produce goods and services, so to produce output, and also you still have to subsidise these people's livelihoods via the welfare system. Now, migrate immigration actually helps the dependency ratio. Remember, as I said, the larger proportion of migrants tend to be in the economically active age, so they come in here to work. So if you're having more economically active people inside your, inside your country, that helps generate a larger revenue for the government. If you're working, you're paying VAT, you're paying income tax, and you're less likely to claim um, tax, tax credits and welfare. And so far, there isn't a real statistically proven link between net migration and unemployment. There's been times when there's been high net migration and unemployment has dropped, and there's been times in the UK where there's high net migration and unemployment has risen. So I'm not really sure I could give like a definitive answer on the links between unemployment and net migration. So those are kind of the effects immigration has economically. Now, let's look at their social factors. Due to globalisation already raising the living costs, net migration can actually help to possibly drop the standard of living in the country. For example, recent studies showed that 1 in 10 primary school children are not getting into their first choice school. Naturally, the more migrants there are, the more children there will be, the more children there will be, the more competition there are for school places. There's always going to be a certain amount of schools and a certain amount of teachers. Even when you look at things like housing, the more people in the country, that increases the demand for housing. And the supply of housing is not really changing at any sort of alarming rate. There's not enough new homes built. There's not enough new roads built. And that's also due to the issues in terms of building across the green belt, all types of environmental issues, etc. And we've already discussed on this economics the, how, the, the woes that is the UK housing market. So that just makes it, it does help make the living standards a lot more tricky for the British and um, British nationals. However, in terms of claiming benefits and crime, Islamophobia, all, all, all these propagandas that we see on TV, they are so, so inaccurate. From now on, when you watch TV and you see them talk about um, migrants, Syrian migrants, Ethiopian migrants, do this one task. Wait if you hear any sort of data to back up what they're saying. If they say, oh, they increase crime, wait to see if they give you a fact or figure. Because 9 times out of 10, there ain't going to be no accompanying, da- no accompanying, accompanying data to back it up. I'm going to give you a few. First things first, the vast majority of long-term migrants are here to study. According to the Office of National Statistics, 155,000 of net migrants 2014 came here to study 
40,000 came in with jobs already and 20,000 were looking for work. They don't come, they don't, they do not come here just to scrounge as all types of publications or whack jobs in the media and in parliament <laughs> may lead you to believe. Now, if we look at the EEA countries, okay, hold on. Okay, EEA countries are the European Economic Area. This consists of all the EU nations, plus Iceland, Norway, Liechtenstein, and Switzerland. In in the European Economical Area, there's what you may have heard already, free movement of labour. So that means people can move in between these countries freely. If you look at if you look at the data, migrants from the European Economical Area, which include the Eastern European countries, have a positive have a positive fiscal contribution, even when we're um, riding a deficit. So, in English, their tax contributions are greater to the benefits and other and the other government expenditure that that they receive. So they're actually contributing more than they're taking out to our economy. Which is quite ironic as they are they always get seem to be demonized as scroungers, which is extremely cheeky and inaccurate. If we look up for the year to date in September twenty fifteen, two hundred and ninety thousand people emigrated for work in, in that year. Sixty percent of them already had jobs. Sixty percent had jobs before they even stepped foot into the into the on British soil. And if you look at Romanians or Bulgarians, that number rises to two thirds. And these are the people that <laughs> our TV screens, our newspapers, our radio will, will lead you to believe are coming here to, you know, pop out 50 kids and just finesse the system. Absolute banter. In fact, since 1999, immigrants are 45% less likely, less likely to receive tax credits or state benefits than the UK, people from the UK. 45% less likely. But they're the scroungers. The irony is, if you look at the data for non-EA migrants, non-EEA migrants, so that could be from Africa, Asia, wherever, they be they are also may likely to be claiming more than they're actually paying in taxation due to the number of kids that they have. Non-EEA migrants have more kids than um, the British natives. However, we have control over the number of people that come into the country that are not part of the European economic area. We can set whatever legislation we want as long as it complies with some EU laws and human human rights act. We can control the migrants that come in from Nigeria or India or Venezuela. So that <laughs> the excuses don't wash with me. EU migrants are actually more economically active than natives. If you look at the unemployment rates between EU migrants and native Brits, native Brits tend to have a higher unemployment rate than EU migrants. Again, these are the so-called scroungers. Now, if we look at it in terms of education level, if you take ages 0 to 15 as lower level education, 
like six, um, not 16, sorry, it's lower level education, 17 to 20 as a middle level education and 20 plus as higher education because our study from studies from Oxford University as well as LSE showed the the, the, the the more number of years you study, the higher education level, that tends to be the correlation. EU migrants, 43% of EU migrants finished education in that higher age group. 42% of them finished it in a medium age group. Now you compare it to UK, where 22%, so it's almost half the EU migrant number for the higher um, higher age bracket, and 33%. In the middle age bracket, this is via the CEP analysis in 2015. Now, even if you compare that to what's it called, the A8 nations, so that's Czech Republic, Estonia, Hungary, Lithuania, Latvia, Poland, Slovakia, Slovenia, their numbers are also higher than the UK's: 36% for the higher, 55% for the middle one. That's insane. So, you're having people who are less likely to claim benefits, less likely to be unemployed, more likely to have a higher level of education, contributing a net positive fiscal contribution, but they've been demonised as people who are actually harming the UK. Based on what? That's what we need to ask them. Show us the proof. As I said on um, podcast 007, bitch better have my money. We need to start asking these questions. If these people are the problem, how? I know as human beings, naturally, we have more affinity with people that we can relate to that look like us, sound like us, culture like us. And then you're, you're likely to be a bit more apprehensive to people who are a bit different. I understand that. But don't get mugged. Do not get mugged. If somebody is telling you something, ask for the evidence. I'm pretty sure the vast majority of people listening to this at one point attended some some sort of schooling. For those who remember the English classes, the history classes, when you're writing S- politics, if you did it for A-level philosophy, university students could probably relate. When you're writing an essay, you have your point, you have your evidence, your explanation, you have the evidence to back it up, then you do the evaluation afterwards. That's basic. But when it comes to news, we're being fed nonsense and we just lap it up. If people are not bringing you figures to back up their point, because the data is out there, the data is out there. This is the 21st century. Everybody has a smartphone, a tablet, a MacBook, all sorts. You could get data sitting in the toilet. You can have Wi-Fi on planes and trains. So getting information is not a problem. You should not allow yourself to be convinced otherwise when nobody is bringing you information. People will lead you to believe that immigration is going to help. No, it's going to increase crime rates. These times, according to a report from the LSC 2013, crime rates in areas that had a higher um, concentration of, um, no, that experienced a, a mass East European emigration, so let's say it's Walthamstow. I know Walthamstow, there's quite a lot of them. Eastern Europeans, Walthamstow, which is like North slash East London. Areas that, that crime actually fell in those areas. In fact, crimes like burglary, car theft have been down since 20, 2004. So, 
the areas where these people are residing, crime rate is going down. Crime is not linked to the colour of your skin, to your cultural upbringing. Crime tends to be linked to a very, very simple instrument. Those who can't... Oh, I'm proper rubbing my fingers together like Birdman. <laughs> like, you can see me. I was doing the money, the money gesture. That's what crime's linked to. If you're, If you have money you could provide, you're less likely to commit crime than if you don't. It's simple. It's not a racial thing. I'm sure there's areas in North in Northern England where there's a very high um, white British population density and there's still crime. Same way in areas in Nigeria where there's a high black African density, there's still crime. It's about opportunity and finances. Do not let the media swindle you. The powers that be are throwing every excuse under the sun to deter you away from the fact that the issue is globalisation. I'm going to do a podcast on globalisation for those who don't really know what it is and how it's had a negative effect. I'll probably have two gentlemen with me, very intelligent gentlemen, who have spoken about this on numerous occasions to kind of give you a more insight of why this is pretty much the bane, the vein of our lives. Please, 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 please do not think migrants are the enemy don't get me wrong some migrants may come here they may want to scrounge some migrants come here they may want to commit crime but we've seen a lot of fear especially in the recent week with the tragedy that happened in london this week but if you look at the 7-7 bombings what's happened in brussels what's happened in germany what's happened in paris these evil people were born and bred in the, na- in, in the nation. <laughs> they weren't migrants. They were born and bred in the country, paying taxes in the country, going to the same shops as us, going to the same cinemas as us and all sorts. Do not let the media sway you into hating or having disdain or looking funny at East Europeans or those who are Muslim because there's no data to back it up. Don't think because people are fleeing from Syria that all of a sudden ISIS will come and take over the UK. ISIS tend to kill Muslims. Where ISIS are operating in places like Syria, Turkey, Bangladesh, these are places that are like 99, 95, 87% Muslim. They're killing their own. These people are fleeing from there. And I think Western countries have a moral obligation at the very least to be accommodating of people because some of the the great countries we're living in have spent centuries decades or whatever time measurement or metric you may like of entering these nations building it drive resources (laughs) and then just having these nations on lockdown so morally we have an obligation to help other people other human beings out let alone it benefit it benefits us economically why do you think Angela Merkel, the German, who, the, the, the lady that's in charge of Germany, was pro-migrants? Because Germany has an aging population. So that damages their dependency ratio. Migrants help our economy. That's why the government pushed to have migrants in specialised industries like nursing because we had shortages of nurses.
next time in a, in a, in a, in a hospital, God forbid you, you're there, <laughs> just look around you. But yeah, in conclusion, don't be finessed. As a wise young lady, my friend Evie once told me, finesse or be finessed. Do not let people consistently lie to you about migrants. They are not the problem. They are not the problem. But yeah, thank you for listening to this week's podcast. There will be one... Okay, I don't think there'll be one next week because next Sunday I'm recording one with a few special guests. So that'll probably be up the week after. But yeah, please like on SoundCloud, follow. Follow on SoundCloud, subscribe on iTunes. If you have time, write me a young review on iTunes. Any feedback, hit me up at Dysonomics on Twitter or email me, Dysonomics at Gmail, for any students that have any <laughs> economical uh, queries for essays or studies or whatnot. More than willing to help. But yeah, thank you for listening and God bless. Flip this money, then we stack it up. Burning bridges, niggas acting up. She on my body like I'm tied up. I ain't seen nobody bad as her. I ain't seen nobody bad as hers. I'ma get this money, I'ma grab it up. I've been stacking, I've been stacking. Just wait till I pattern up. Pattern up. Flip this money, then we stack it up. Sports Social Podcast Network.